Can you believe it? Christmas is two, less than two months away. Now, a couple weeks ago, Philip was up here and he was talking about how he loves Christmas music before Thanksgiving. I think that's almost an abomination. I really think that <laughs> you get a Bing Crosby album and play it in your own back room by yourself, but you do not need a radio station pumping Christmas tunes in October. That's all I got to say, okay? Christmas is right around the corner, and it is the season that we give gifts, right? It's one of those times when just part of our culture, we give gifts away. And when you think about giving gifts, we, uh, we kind of have a formula. Like we listen to people when they talk about what they hope they're going to get for Christmas or what they need. We even ask them. I mean, my kids have these Google Docs that have... All the, the numbers, you know, the, you just click on that and you can order. I mean, it's, they have made giving very easy. It's very expensive now that they're adults, but it's very easy. And so you listen and you figure out what you're going to buy and then you, you shop for it. You go online, you go to the store or whatever. You buy the gift, you wrap it, and it gets under the tree eventually. And then on whenever your family celebrates or you do gifts, you watch them open it. And there's this sense of, of satisfaction when you see joy and gratitude. It's Christmas, celebrating. When we buy gifts for people, we understand that when we give that gift to them, they own it at that point, right? We don't have any ownership of that gift at that point. I mean, think about it. I buy my wife a gift, or I should say my adult daughters help me buy my wife, and let's be honest, my daughters buy the gift. <laughs> I give them a, a, a transfer of funds, and they cover it, right? And they've made Christmas a lot better for their mom since they've gotten heavily involved in this process. But I get that gift, and I, I, I get that, and I, I pay for it, and then I, I wrap it, and the truth is I don't wrap them either, Okay. <laughs> Because their wrapping looks way better than mine does. And so they wrap them, and then I put it under the tree. I do help with that. Um, and then when we come together on Christmas to open gifts, I watch her open that gift. Now, here's the deal. Before she opens it, technically, it's still mine. Now, I know you, you'd say, no, you've, you've given that over to her because you've wrapped it. You put her name on it. It's hers. But if I took that off, out from underneath that tree and put it in a closet, she'd never know. She'd never know. And I could return that. I could get my money back. It's technically still mine. But the minute she opens it, and usually these days she's a lot happier. She loves those gifts that I slash the girls get her. But it's hers at that point. It's hers. That gift belongs to her. She can take it back if she wants. She can do whatever she wants with it from that point forward because it's not under my control now. It's under hers. She owns it. This is the way it is when we give gifts to each other, but it isn't the way it is with God. Hear me out. When God blesses you or me with something or he gives us something like money, for instance, he gives us a, a paycheck or he gives us an un, unseen gift, someone just gives us some money or it's left in 
a will or an estate and it's designated to you. That's a blessing, right? Or maybe, maybe you acquire a house or a car. That, that feels like something significant because it is. And when God blesses us with that, we have received it, but there isn't a transfer of ownership with that. Because, as we're going to learn in today's message, God has created all that exists, and as a result, he owns it all. Everything we have still belongs to God, but we've been given the privilege and responsibility to use and care for these things that are his. So here's a key biblical principle for our talk today. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. In Psalm 24, verse 1, King David writes the very first verse of this psalm, and this is what he says. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. King David begins this psalm with the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, it's all encompassing. It, it's a clear declaration of God's ownership of everything. The basis for our ownership is found in the premise that God created everything. All of nature, all of mankind owe their existence to the Lord. Let me illustrate it this way. A painter stands before an easel that has a canvas on it, and she begins painting. And she paints on it, and she paints on it, and eventually, at some point, she finishes. And at that point, that creation, whatever it is, belongs to her, because she created it. And no one would really question that, unless, unless they commissioned her to paint something. But if she's just painting out of what she sees in her mind or her heart, that painting is hers. So here's a key point for our talk today. God created the world and all its contents. Thus, God owns the world and all its contents. See, it's not just to say he, it belongs to him, but there's a reason why it all belongs to him. It's because he created it all. We, we need to recognize how radical, how impactful this premise is. What's interesting is our words that we often use to communicate, they have a different message than the words that King David has. Because we, we, we say things like, whose house is that? Or, is that your car? Now, I'm not proposing that we change our vernacular. But the way we talk, it's important to inf- understand and recognize that the words that we use influence how we think. The words we use can lead us to believe that we are the ultimate owners of the stuff that's in our control. The world that we live in operates on that premise that we own the stuff that we possess. But the psalmist, King David, points out God created the world and all its contents. Therefore, God owns the world and all its contents. When we think we own stuff that God actually owns and we feel empowered to make the rules about how we use it without having any input from God, we get way ahead of ourselves, way out over the tips of our skis. 
Let me, let me illustrate it this way. The game of Monopoly was invented a number of years ago by the lady, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Maggie. Here's a picture of her. Now, imagine that the Scotty dog says in the game of Monopoly to Miss Elizabeth Maggie that she didn't like that you only got $200 when you pass go. Like, you should get more like $250 when you pass go. Or maybe, maybe the sports car, he says to Elizabeth Maggie that Park Place is overpriced. In fact, it shouldn't be $350, it should just be $300. Make it more affordable. Now, I'm going to assume that everyone who can hear my voice right at this moment understands just how ridiculous this scenario is because the game tokens in the game of Monopoly have no authority to tell the creator how her game should be played. The Bible actually makes a very similar point in Isaiah, the 29th chapter. Listen to what God says through the prophet. You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? It's important for us to keep in proper perspective when it comes to our wealth and our possessions. See, Moses gave a clear, concise explanation to the people of Israel right before they were ready to take ownership of the promised land. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, verses 17 and 18. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. There's a... A little bit of background here. As you look at this map of the promised land, this west of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea is what is commonly referred to as the promised land. The Jews are right here. They're ready to cross over, and Moses has given them this talk. And eventually, they're going to take ownership of all of this, all of that. But they need perspective. Because without God, they're not going to take ownership of it. Moses speaks to the people to prepare them for the experience that they're about to have. This passage had deep meaning to the Jews as they took possession of the promised land. They realized God did this. They didn't. God gave them the promised land. Now, he worked through them, and they were there. They were They were part of it. They were the conduit of which he was working through. But none of this happens if God doesn't do it. And this passage is especially meaningful for us today. I think it's insightful and enlightening to us as well because it describes the accumulation of wealth and the temptation to take credit for all of our material and financial success. Moses said this. Let me remind you in verse 18. He said this. It is he, he's talking about the Lord, who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That means if you and I have talents and skills, 
that allow us to earn a great living, Moses would say to us, God is the source of those talents and skills. If you have a certain aptitude or intelligence that allows you to earn a certain significant income, Moses would tell you that intellect came from God. He's the source of all of that intelligence. If we have strength that's essential in us earning a sizable paycheck, Moses says God is the source of that strength. So, it all belongs to God. And since God is the source of all the abilities, skills, and resources that allow us to live a good life, then there is no room left for us to imagine that we are the reasons or the cause for our good life. But God is. It's his provision. It's his blessing. Now, some of you may be going, but I go to work every day. (laughs) The truth is, we have a part in this. But I want us to recognize the source. Because without him, we would have nothing. Without him, we would be nothing. Charles Lane, in his book, Ask, Think, Tell, which is a great resource that I have used for this series, he writes this. He says, the proper response to the blessings of this life is not to pat myself on the back and try to find a way to get more stuff. The proper response is to give God the glory and the thanks and to ask serious questions about how I am called to use what God has entrusted to me, entrusted. As Micah mentioned just a few moments ago is the title for this series where we're gonna explore how we can be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us to use for his kingdom purposes. So I wanna go all the way back. If we could dig in just for a few more moments. Genesis, the first chapter, verses 27 and 28. We'll go all the way back to the beginning. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. That's that's an important word in our study today. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. For centuries, those two words, rule over, have been the source of some debate. What does that mean, to rule over? Some of your translations may have the word dominion. It means to rule over. What is that? What, how far does that go? Well, let me tell you, not to expand the debate, but let me tell you what we know to be true with regard to that Hebrew word, to rule over, translated to rule over. There are three things that stand out to, be, to me anyway that are clear about this debate. The first is this. Humanity has the highest place in all of creation. If you look at all of creation, humanity is right here. Men and women, right here. 
We're, we're number one in God's uh, pecking order. Now, we, we find this in Psalm 8, verses 3 and following. This is what the psalmist says. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. In awesome splendor of all that God has created, men and women have been given the highest position. That's you and me. A key part of God's created order is the prominence that he has given to humanity. Okay, there's a second thing that's clear. So we have this high position. Second thing that's clear is this. God has delegated authority to human beings over the creation. Psalm 8, verse 6 says, You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Just as a business owner might delegate authority to his or her employees, God has delegated authority to mankind. People have been given control and responsibility over creation, and this was God's plan from the very beginning, to rule over creation. Well, there's a third thing that's specifically clear with regard to this debate about what does it mean to rule over creation, and that is this. To rule over creation wasn't a transfer of ownership. God is still the owner. We have been given authority, but it still all belongs to God. Since it's all God's, we need to manage creation in accordance with God's heart, in accordance with his word. So when we consider what these Old Testament passages that we've been reading through this morning say about our responsibility to manage creation, let's take a look at the actual role of a person who does this, or what we would call a steward. Now, a steward is a word that we don't use that often. We probably would be more inclined to use the word manager. But the steward is, is a, it's a unique word. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that has deep meaning. It's the combination of two old English words. The first word is stig. Stig. It's an old English word, not one that you and I would use. You know, the other day I was at the Stig. No, we don't do that, right? The Stig meant hall or pen for pigs or cattle or part of the house, okay? The second word, word was weird. It's beard instead with a W, and it means guard. Stig weird. Or some would use, had developed the word sty warden. A sty was a reference to that pen for pigs. The sty warden, what did the sty warden, what did that word mean? It meant a house guardian or a housekeeper. We start to see how this word comes to have its meaning today. A steward was responsible to oversee the accounts of the household. He oversaw the functions within the household. He even oversaw some of the business of the master of that household. I think the etymology of this word helps us to see two important things about the role of the steward. The steward, in its original word, the sty warden, he didn't own the pigs, but the sty warden took care of or managed the pigs. 
And as we assess what all of this culmination of scripture and word studies come together, as we look at what it has to say, we're going to find that there are three aspects. I think they're even key, important, vital aspects of a steward. The first is this. The steward is not the owner. And some of you are going, we get it. Okay, God owns it all. (laughs) You get it. I hope we get it because it's a crucial part of understanding the role of a steward is that we don't own it, but God does. And we're here to manage it. The second thing that we find of the key aspects of a steward is the steward has a prominent position of authority with tremendous responsibility. The Bible identifies God as the creator and owner of all things, and it identifies mankind as the manager of creation. When we grasp this concept, we are then able to accurately view and correctly value not only our possessions, but more importantly, life itself. This helps us to understand our purpose, which is divinely given. It's an opportunity to join with God in his movement to save and disciple the world. Stewardship is not about God taking something away from us. Rather, it's his way of bestowing his richest gifts upon his people. Gifts like forgiveness and hope and peace, salvation, gifts that you cannot buy. Gifts that are freely given by the Lord. They're given to us. And we are also given the opportunity to share those very same gifts with the world around us. And in that, we have the opportunity to change an individual's eternity. Think about that. You can have an opportunity to change where a person will spend eternity. Stuart has prominent position of authority and tremendous responsibility. And the third, third key aspect of a steward is the steward cares for the owner's possessions to benefit the owner and bless others. You know, there are a number of biblical examples of this where the steward was responsible to take care of the owner's possessions in such a way that the owner's possessions or assets would prosper. They would grow. Probably the best is found in Matthew 25, verse 14 and following. We call it the parable of the talents. And uh, in this parable, Jesus gives the boss's reaction to a steward or a manager who was faithful with what the boss had entrusted him to invest. And look, look what he says in Matthew 25, verse 23. We read this, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Jesus makes it clear that the stewards were to manage the owner's money so that it would grow. They were, they were, in, they were entrusted to invest it, to use it so that it would expand. It would, it would advance. It would grow. Burying it in the ground was unacceptable. And the reason we know that is one of the stewards actually did that. And they were strongly reprimanded. This parable emphasizes the opportunity that you and I have as managers, as stewards of God. 
to honor him with the things that he has entrusted to us, like our time and our talents, our treasure and our testimony. To honor God with all that he's entrusted to us. And when we obediently live for the Lord by using our life to honor him, others will be blessed as well as they encounter Jesus in the process. They'll have their needs met. They'll see their brokenness healed. They'll see the chains of bondage broken. And they will see their faith grow. As Christians, God considers every one of us a steward. Someone who has been entrusted to manage faithfully by using our lives to honor and glorify him. As I was putting this uh, message together, I was talking with Keith Parrish, and he, he did not, we did not talk about this message. He did not know anything about my message other than the title of this series. And he started to tell me a story, and about halfway through, I said, man, this fits my sermon so perfectly. Would you care if I use it? He said, no. What's mine is yours. I said, could I borrow your truck? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, I didn't go that far. But I did think about it, I did think about it. Keith Parrish, as most of you probably know, is our executive minister, and he shared this story with me earlier this week. And he was talking about how God owns it all, which is what got my attention, and how that influences how we live our lives. He said that when he was a young man, he started tithing. For those of you that don't know what that means. Tithing is just taking 10% of what you earn and giving it back to the Lord. You know, if it all belongs to God, we're just, we're just giving it back to him. He said, though, and, he, and I quote 2 Corinthians 9, 7. I'll tell you why for a minute. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the reason I quote that passage is Keith said, Though I tithe, I wasn't a cheerful giver. I was giving 10%, but I was doing it out of obligation until one day when that changed. He said, I was driving home from work in his truck when all of a sudden the truck quit. He said, I coasted into a parking lot where the truck would come to a stop. He said, uh, he tried restarting the truck, but it didn't do anything, didn't even make a clicking sound. It was just dead. Now, this was before the era of cell phones, so he said he walked to a payphone at a shopping center not very far from where he was and called his wife. And Janet was home, Keith said, but she wasn't able to come pick him up right away, so Keith went back to his truck to wait. And while he was sitting there in his truck, he started praying. If you know Keith, as a common occurrence. He's a man of deep prayer. He said, God, what, what should I do? You see, Keith's truck was just eight years old, and he had had no problem, none whatsoever, with this truck until that afternoon. But while praying, he said, I remembered a young man who he had met just recently who was a mechanic, and he was opening his own garage. So Keith prayed, God, you know my needs, and you know the mechanic's needs, and if you want him to have the money in my savings account, he can have it. 
When Janet arrived, Keith said the truck had been sitting for 45 minutes, so it was cooled off, and he thought, maybe, maybe it'll just start now that it's cooled off, but still nothing. Turned the key and nothing. So they went home with plans of coming back later that evening to tow the truck home. Keith said when he got home, he called that young mechanic and got no answer, and there was no answering machine, so he couldn't leave a message. He called him again later, still no answer, so he and Janet went back to tow the truck home. When they got there, Keith decided, I'm going to try it one more time, you know, before we hook the tow rope up and everything. And so when he put the key in and he turned it, the truck started right up. He said in the moment, he heard God whisper in his soul, I wanted to test what was in your heart, for it all belongs to me, and I can meet all your needs. He said from that day, he learned to be a cheerful giver. He said he drove home that night without any trouble. In fact, he owned that truck for another eight years and never once had any trouble with it again. Now, you can believe what you want, but I do think that God was getting Keith's attention. You know, in the Bible, all stewardship, especially the stewardship of the things that we own, have an intensely spiritual influence on us. Stewardship lies so close to the heart of a disciple's relationship with Jesus. It's just my opinion. There are very few things in this life that can help a disciple grow in his or her relationship with Jesus more than biblical stewardship. It's about our faith in God. It's about our trust in him. God has entrusted us to be stewards of all that we've been blessed with. So throughout this series, I want to encourage you to prayerfully reflect on your stewardship. How's your faith? How are you using what God has blessed you with? Specifically, I want to encourage you to assess three investments that every Christian should be making. The first of these is your service and ministry. Whether it's here at Northeast or whether it's ministry somewhere else, are you regularly investing your time and your talents to serve others? Is God flowing through you to influence the lives of others? Also, I want to encourage you to assess your financial giving. You know, some people walk into this building and they look around and they see this amazing facility and they deduce this must be a rich church. They don't need my money. Whether Northeast needs your money or not is not the issue. The truth is all Christ followers need to give. It's beneficial to us to do that. In fact, Proverbs 11:24 says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. It's about faith. I give, trusting God to meet my needs. How's your faith? Finally, the third investment to evaluate is, are you sharing your testimony? 
A person's testimony is their story of how Jesus saved them and the difference that he's made in their life. Every Christ follower has a testimony and we're called to share it with others. If it was important for us to know, then surely it would be important for others to know. Agree? God has entrusted to us many things and we should be responsible stewards that will bring honor and glory to him. Last verse, Luke 12, verse 48 says, for everyone who has been given much, time, talent, testimony, treasure, much will be demanded. And to whom they entrusted much to him, they will ask all the more. Let's be good stewards to all that God has entrusted to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for trusting us. Trusting us to manage your creation, Lord, we thank you. We're honored and we are humbled. And Lord, we're sorry for the way in which we have messed up your creation at times. Lord, we understand you created the world and all that's in it. And it all belongs to you. Will you show each one of us who's a follower of yours just how to be the best stewards we can be of all that you've entrusted to us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.